Greetings, steampunk survivalists, and welcome to the first official Steampunk Dollhouse Supplemental. Uh, today we will be covering Chapter 1 of Steampunk's Guide to the Apocalypse, which discusses the pros and cons of different locations in which to construct shelter, and some materials that can be used to construct the shelter. Before that, though, I would like to apologize uh, for the delay in posting the supplemental. I was supposed to have that up Wednesday, or have this up Wednesday, but I didn't get it up till today. I know that is really bad form uh, in a new venture, but it was unavoidable. Uh, Some rambunctious and really adorable virus vectors managed to get loose in the library um, this weekend, and in the process of subduing them, I was infected and I went down almost immediately. Um, Now, to be fair, I am an academic with a shitty immune system who spends all my time in a sunless underground bunker, uh, breathing recycled air, so getting sick is not unheard of for me, but still, kids are filthy and they carry germs. And now that I've offered up my excuses for my couch-bound indolence, let's get on with the show. Chapter 1. Wither and Weather. Perhaps the most important and complex decision that a survivor will need to make is where to stay. Indeed, there are so many factors to take into consideration that the mind may be boggled, in which case it is a fine coincidence that you have this guide. Some factors include proximity of material resources, availability of land for food acquirement, volume and quality of nearby water, social considerations, and safety from scoundrels and disease. Now, the first option we were given is the metropolis. The choice to stay within city limits is a bold one. It is an irrefutable statement of purpose. It says to the world, you cannot move us. We are unafraid. We shall rebuild. Alternatively, it may be making the statement, I got stuck here and my car is out of petrol. Resources. The city is the richest of all possible locations, filled to overflowing with metals and tools of all varieties. As far as food, there is comparatively little nutrition to be had within the city, and even less room in which to grow it. Although these are hurdles that may be leapt by the ingenious, your competition might indeed prove fierce. For water, there is no guarantee that the existing water systems will remain viable, and a great deal of energy will need to be spent acquiring water from rain and river. Wells might prove hard to drill in industrialized cities, as the land is dense with layers of pipes and tunnels. There are some social considerations, because for better or worse, there will be plenty of people around to converse with. There will be some conflict, and it is certain that the urban survivalists will need to be quite prepared for armed conflict. Battle might become a daily occurrence. It is likely that no one power structure will thrive in any given city, and struggle for power between warlords might bear heavily on any who remain. Disease my favorite subject. Unless a great deal of education takes place in a very short period of time, a failure in the sewage systems in the city will bring a great risk of plague. The population density will make the issue of sanitation one of paramount importance. Now, other locations include the small town. In certain ways, the small town is the ideal location from which to survive the apocalypse. Unless, of course, it is overrun by refugees from the cities resources for the small town. Uh, Many small towns are fully self-sufficient, having supplies of near every human-made resource on hand. However, these supplies may be low in number, and if competing factions vie for control, then they may be spread quite thin. For food, a small town offers a large amount of land on which to grow crops. 
Although the farming infrastructure will need to transition to non-chemical methods, food should not be a concern to overshadow all others. As far as water, it is possible that a small town's water supply, if local, will continue uninterrupted. If that is not the case, however, new wells may be dug immediately and windmills may be constructed to maintain water pressure by pumping water into towers. Social considerations. Small towns are the most likely of places to form a cohesive group. A new government, if you will. This, of course, may be an event most fortuitous or disastrous. Conflict. If a small town divides into two or more factions, war may transpire, as we saw on Jericho, side note. Go watch Jericho. Even if this does not occur, a thriving town would likely become the target of any refugees or looters. Again, re-Jericho. Disease. Small populations are at less risk of disease, but if a plague were to, be, were to come, it would be far more destructive to such a small group. See, I can't even talk because of the plague that got into my library. I'm still trying to get better. On to wilderness. Those who value their lives most dearly will be tempted to return to nature and either live this lonely life of the steampunk hermit or be part of a small grouping. Resources. Any human-made resources will need to be carried in over many kilometers if you are far enough removed to be safe. Food. In fertile areas, staying fed will not be a problem. In deserts or on perched on dry plateaus, a lot more time must be devoted to hunting, gathering, and growing. Water. A well-chosen spot in the wilderness will have access to plenty of water. Social considerations. It is here that the steampunk of the wild may suffer the most. And if you are a person prone to the enjoyment of social interactions, then you may not do well. Alone or in small groups, your company will remain mostly unchanged for many years. Conflict. Woe shall befall any well-stocked group that is discovered, and the art of invisibility will be paramount use to any martial strategy. Disease. If care is taken in sanitation, herbal remedies are researched, and nutrition is properly balanced, then disease should not be too great a fear. However, if a generalized plague is upon the whole of humanity, a small group might suffer such attrition as to leave too few people to survive. Now, we're going to move on to shelter. A great deal more ingenuity and consideration may be taken with the construction of new abodes than has traditionally been done in our pre-collapse culture, and a time of great diversity and design may well be upon us. First, we're going to talk about existing structures. Like so many other facets of our post-apocalyptic survival, the question of shelter can primarily be solved with existing materials. There are more than enough houses and other buildings to provide homes for every person alive. There are, however, several considerations, the first being defensibility. What threatens you, and how well can a building provide defense? Shelter. How well will the building stand up to elements, be they natural or radioactive, like the black rain we saw on the 100? Gotta be careful. Efficiency. How much energy will, be needed, will need to be expended in the heating and cooling of the building? Comfort. Can the interior of buildings be navigated with ease? Is there adequate privacy for all inhabitants? Secrecy. Does your building blend seamlessly into the surroundings? Or will it attract many people with intentions of peace and war alike? Do you want to be a beacon or be passed over by those who vie for power? Some buildings to consider are prisons with their fierce walls and defensible corridors. If you've ever watched The Walking Dead, we all know how the prison went. Warehouses with their ample storage facilities and ponderous heights that would provide space for a network of hammocks and other beds. High schools with their various resources, 
Manors with their existing fences and ornaments. Skyscrapers with their potential for vertical gardening and population density. Project housing with its non-showy incorporation of vertical space and large courtyards. Mines, ideal for hiding. Houseboats and cruise liners with their watery advantages, although with some of the things that have happened with cruise liners over the last few years, I'm not so sure about that one. Re-poop cruise. Cargo containers or truck trailers, an uncomfortable but unpresumptuous approach to living. Castles with their walls of stone, which obviously we're not going to get too many of those here in America. And military installations, of course, although these might already be fiercely defended by others. Now, one of the designs you can go for is passive solar design. Our methods of architecture are nearly quaint in how poorly they have been applied, says the Steampunk Survival Guide. A domicile can be built, given the proper location and design, that does not require much, if any, heating or cooling. The name for this method is passive solar. By maximizing insulation, both heat and cold may be more effectively trapped. In the Northern Hemisphere, a large bank of south-facing, double-paned glass windows will provide the maximum amount of heat in winter, and properly shaded will not add over much to the summer's heat, since the sun lies higher in the heavens during the summer months. The house should, therefore, be longer on the east-west axis than the north-south to maximize its exposure to the sun. Thermal mass is a simple concept that you ought to familiarize yourself with. Essentially, thermal mass is a large quantity of material, such as earth, masonry, or water, that absorbs heat during the day and radiates heat when the sun has set. Even oil barrels filled with water, perhaps your rainwater barrels, can be stored inside to serve as thermal mass. To help keep your house cool in the balmy nuclear summer heat, consider installing wing walls. That is, short vertical walls placed between adjacent windows, forcing the wind to ventilate through the room. You can also use tire walls. The tire of an automobile makes an excellent brick with which to construct houses of modest height. Each tire is packed tight with dirt and gravel, an exhausting process admittedly, and then stacked in an alternating fashion much like traditional stone or brick. After the walls are erected, it is suggested that you cover them most thoroughly with cob or adobe to protect them from the elements. And now we come to my favorite, tree houses. There are many sound reasons one may have to build a home within the trees. Secrecy, protection from low-flying insects such as mosquitoes, a minimal impact upon soil and wildlife, and a pleasant aesthetic experience unlike any other are four that come to mind quite readily. Now, when designing your manor, be certain to consider the ramifications of permaculture, which we will discuss in Chapter 3, and defense, which we will discuss in Chapter 4. If you would like more information on today's reading, you can visit our website at spdhpod.com and click the link for Survival Guide. There you will find the text for today's episode, as well as a small diagram and instructions for a basic passive solar heating and cooling for the domicile. If you like what we've done here, please don't forget to subscribe and please rate and review us on iTunes. Even if you don't use iTunes to listen, you can still rate and review as long as you have an iTunes account. Your opinion matters and has an impact on how many people can find us. And with that, we are done. We'll see you next week for Doing It For Themselves or Why the Capable Ladies of the Clockwork Century Don't Need Your Mansplaining with a discussion of Sherry Priest's The Clockwork Century series. The Steampunk's Guide to the Apocalypse was written by Margaret Kiljoy and narrated by Elizabeth Hedrick and is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Share Alike 3.0 Unported. You can find more information about the passions and projects of Margaret Kiljoy at birdsbeforethestorm.net. 
Additional episode writing by Elizabeth Hedrick. Produced by Elizabeth Hedrick and Matt Davis. The background music in this episode was The Royal Vagabond by Jockers Dance Orchestra, which can be found at freemusicarchive.org. For more information about the text and music used in today's episode, please see the show notes or visit our website at spdhpod.com. Please do keep in mind that any hints, tips, how-tos, or advice given in these supplemental episodes is for entertainment only. Many of these activities could be dangerous and or illegal. And finally, we thank you for tuning in. I'll keep reading your rights for as long as you keep listening. Blue Stocking out. Fourteen, twenty-nine, thirty-two, twenty-three, zero, twenty-eight, twenty-three, twenty-seven, Twenty-five, thirty-six, fourteen, zero, nineteen, thirty-two, eighteen, twenty-eight, eighteen, seventeen, thirty-six, twenty-three, thirty-four, thirty-two, zero, thirty-five, thirty-two, thirty-four, twenty-two, twenty-four, thirty-two, eighteen, zero. Thirty-three, sixteen, seventeen, twelve, zero.